tax assessor Fritz Kage moves to boost the Chicago Bears Arlington Heights tax tab. And I'll talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin about how at one Southside plant, a new house rolls off the assembly line every week. They don't have to close down your street. It's like a UPS driver or 20 of them driving up and delivering your house a module at a time. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, May 4th. Secure your business accounts and start earning more with a WinTrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you get up to 15 times the standard FDIC personal protection. That's right, 15 times the protection with the liability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAX-SAFE to talk with a local WinTrust banker today. That's 833-MAX-SAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about uh, how at a Southside manufacturing facility, a new house rolls off the assembly line every week. That's perhaps a different approach to home building, but tell me about this company, Dennis. It is, but it's so interesting to watch. It's a modular home company. We have a few of those, factory-built housing. But in this case, they're really building it factory style, building it on an assembly line. I went down and, and walked around the factory with the principals of the firm called Kinex. I had originally written about them back in 2020 when they were getting started. Two entrepreneurs with building and architecture backgrounds who wanted to get into modular housing. At the time, they were in sort of temporary space, but we have covered a couple of houses that their clients have put up. The Resurrection Project put up the first one in back of the yards. We've seen them at Harrison Row, which is a large development of affordable housing in Garfield Park. There's one in South Shore. There are actually now three in South Shore by the same builder. So now that so many of their houses are up, as, as I said, I spoke to them in 2020. I called them and said, so how many are you doing and how's it going? And they brought me down to the factory. And I got to say, I was agog. This is so interesting. If you could picture yourself going back to a Henry Ford plant in the early 1900s, where you know, this was sort of an innovation that the car rolled down the assembly line to different workers along the way. It wasn't that the car sat in one place in the middle of the floor and each one of us went to it and did our part. It's that the car came to us. I'm standing here with a wrench. You're standing there with a blowtorch, whatever it is. And it comes to me. I do my thing. It comes to you. Then it goes on down the assembly line. That's what they're doing to build houses in this factory. It's so interesting. Um, I think I said the company's called Kinex. The factory is an old steel factory on Kildare near Midway Airport. And so what happens is first they build basically a steel cage, a steel module. It's eight to 12 feet wide and 19 feet long. And then they put it on just like an assembly line. They have built a little miniature rail line that runs the length of the factory. The module gets put on there and it moves to each of about 10 workstations. This is doubled, so there are two at a workstation at a time. So when you're looking at this assembly line, you're looking at 20 steel boxes being turned into over time 
20 boxes with insulation, cabinets, flooring, whatever goes inside, and then sheathed on the outside and ready to be <laughs> ready to be loaded on the back of a pickup truck, really on a trailer pulled by a pickup truck. But these things, the size is very particular. The architect, who's a principal, there are two principals. The architect, Paul Tebbin, told me that the, the point here was to make the modules small enough that you can just drive it right to the site. There are 20 for a single family home. So uh, they put these on a trailer on the back of a pickup truck. There are no height restrictions. They can get under all the bridges. There are no width restrictions. They don't have to have, you know, a wide load side and sign and have police no... escorts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They don't have to close down your street. Um, they just drive up. It's like a UPS driver or 20 of them driving up and delivering your house a module at a time. It's fascinating to watch. It's very exciting to the developers who do it. Most of them are young emerging developers uh, looking to build relatively affordable housing. In many cases, they haven't built before. What they do is they order a house made of 20 modules. There are about 12 different models. Some of those models take more than 20 modules, but generally it's a 20 module house and they order it from Connects. They order more than one generally, but you order it from Connects. It's delivered to your site. They assemble it. It took about a week to make the modules in the factory. It takes 65 to 70 days to tie it all together on the site. And this saves a month or so to uh, compared to conventional building. Another thing it saves is any modular form of construction saves uh, the problem with building out on a weathered site. Um, if you build in a factory without an assembly line, there are other companies doing this where the, the module is built the way I described earlier, it's in the middle of the floor and all the workers come to it. Um, if you do that, you are also protected from the weather. You don't have um, rain pouring inside the shell before it's covered. You don't have warp in the wood. You don't have any of that. Um, and you also don't have days when work has to be shut down because the crew can't be on the site because of rain or snow or temperature. So it's a much more predictable form of construction. People have been trying to do modular construction for decades. This is a really interesting way to see it done. Yeah. So the idea is you you order all these pieces and and different um, final versions of the home will will require different ordering and different assembly. Um, what about the affordability? How does that how does that shake out? Well, let me go back to the modules for just a second first. Um, yeah. When you see them rolling down the assembly line, so this one's going to be part of the bathroom. That one's going to be part of the bedroom. This is yeah. going to be the living room with the stairs. They have little hang tags on them. And it says, you know, 123 Main Street, the address it's going to be installed on. And then it's like second floor left, those kinds of things. And it's all color coded. So a whole house rolls down the assembly line. And I, one of the workers on the assembly line, know, oh, you know, now I'm working on the bedroom. I need to do this. Or this is a bathroom. It needs the plumbing. And this happens at all the different workstations. You were asking about price. Yeah. At the moment, according to the developers, the price is not that much less okay. because this is a startup. They're still trying to get it going. The principals feel that the price will come down as time goes by. The primary savings for the developer is in carrying costs because the lot can be filled and sold faster. That's not a, a, a major savings, but it is a savings. Uh, primarily what they say is, uh, though they're not saving money yet, what they are seeing is this sort of efficiency of having a predictable module, having an order date saying, I'm going to have my site June 1st. Do you have 
modules that can come my way, that kind of thing. So it's all very predictable. But at the moment, the developers who buy these say they aren't saving a lot of money. You, you mentioned this is a startup. How many of these pieces or full homes have they completed so far? Well, so like I said, they started in 2020, got one up. By 2022, they did 31. And in 2023, their goal is to do 60. It's April, and they're already halfway there, either with completed or committed units. So pretty likely that they're going to get to 60 this year. Uh, the, the developers I talked to basically at the Resurrection Project, which put up the first one, they said, if we had the resources, we'd be ordering these 100 at a time. They're good looking houses and they're built at a quality level that people like. And what the uh, Resurrection Project does is sells them in the roughly uh, $325,000 range, but uh, with an average subsidy of 50,000. So the buyer is paying about $275,000 for the house, which is a great price in these neighborhoods where the Resurrection Project is. Um, Another developer I spoke to who, uh, I did a story last fall when he was putting one up in South Shore, he was planning to build one, sell it, put up two more. Instead, he put up all three and he has them rented. Yeah, you know, the the uh, real estate climate changed, interest rates skyrocketing, affordability goes away. So the target market he was looking at in the low 400s kind of dries up. But he found that it was very easy to rent them because neighbors, one of the things about having all these uh, modules delivered his neighbors show up and go, Ooh, what's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is this thing? And so a lot of them said, Hey, and he said, Oh, it's a house. And he ended up renting to basically to onlookers. That's not exactly the way it happened, but, um, so he's got all three of them rented and same thing. Uh, I think they're rented for the $2,500 range, very affordable, new construction in neighborhoods where you don't often see it. Pretty cool. So you've mentioned this in terms of working with developers, kind of what's the bigger vision? What's next for for them? The next, if it comes true, will be so interesting. They want to get to the point where they're selling it to you retail. You okay. could come to the factory like you'd go to a car dealership yeah. and say, you know, I want the blue one with the white seats and the, uh, well, let's say the white sidewall tires because we've just bought a big 1950s Cadillac. Right. Um, but you say, this is the model I want and these cabinets and that sort of thing. But it would be buying a house the way you might buy a car. Go to the dealership and say, this is what I want. When can you deliver it and pay for it there? You would, of course, have to have a site uh, to put it on and you'd have to have the permits and that sort of thing. But their goal is that they could sell these modular homes at retail. I think it's interesting to to imagine a day in which there's like a showroom somewhere. And yeah. You just go in somewhere in the city and you go, okay, I want this house and this finish and yeah. done. I want this kind of siding. Don't give me the shed roof. Yeah. I think um, you could look at all their modules. Who knows when that's coming? They hope to do it in 24, 25. But near term. Yeah. It could be very cool to see it come true. Yeah. That's fascinating. All right. Well, thanks, Dennis. Appreciate you swinging by to talk this one through. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, why flights might get less expensive after a busy summer. We'll talk about that and more right after this.
Want to dive deeper into the topics you've heard about here? Read the full stories and get access to all of Crane's award-winning coverage with a Crane's Chicago Business subscription. Crane's Daily Gist listeners can get 20% off a one-year Crane's Chicago Business digital subscription by visiting chicagobusiness.com slash subscribe and using code DAILYGIST, all one word, at checkout to redeem this offer. So be sure to visit chicagobusiness.com slash subscribe and enter code DAILYGIST to get this deal while it lasts. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Crane's political columnist Greg Hines reported that Cook County Assessor Fritz Kage has made a defensive move at the Chicago Bears as they consider whether to proceed with plans to build a stadium complex in Arlington Heights, moving to raise sixfold the property tax value of the land involved even before construction happens. The move is being appealed to the Cook County Board of Review, a three-person panel that can overrule Kage's decisions. But if the assessment is upheld, it would cost the team roughly an additional $15 million a year in property taxes, a very steep price the NFL franchise would have to pay while it decides whether to redevelop the former Arlington International Racecourse property. Hines noted that Kegi's move came earlier this year as part of the triennial reassessment of real estate in the north and west suburbs, concluding that the property was worth not the $33.5 million that 2022 owner Churchill Downs taxes were based on, but $197 million, almost exactly what the Bears paid Churchill Downs for the property in February. Assuming property taxes rise by the same proportion, the bill for the property would go from $2.75 million to an estimated $16.5 million. The Bears organization said in a statement, quote, paying property taxes is part of being a member of the community. We want to pay our fair share. But the proposed assessment of the unoccupied property we purchased and the taxes associated with it would be more than five times what the property generated when it had an income-producing racetrack operating on it, adding, quote, Arlington Park would not be redeveloped by anyone at such an excessive property tax rate. Hines noted that real estate lawyers often argue that property is worth what it produces in income. The Arlington Heights property now is effectively vacant and producing little, if any, income. Kagi, however, has moved toward an approach in which the most recent purchase price is given greater weight. Kagi's office said, quote, The unique nature of this property, the recency of the sale, and our comparable analysis support the accuracy of our assessment. Noting that the office did study several recent sales of comparable business properties in the northwest suburbs, including the 600 block of East Algonquin Road in Schomburg and the 900 block of East Higgins Road in Elk Grove Village, and said they found that they generally supported the proposed valuation on the Bears property. Hines noted that also intervening in the pending appeal is Community Consolidated School District 15, which reportedly presented an appraisal setting the value of the Bears' land at $150 million, somewhat less than Kagi's figure, but still nearly five times what the Bears are proposing. The Bears have said they will need tax help on the Arlington Heights land to develop not the stadium, but a surrounding entertainment district that would cover most of the site. However, team efforts in Springfield to get some kind of subsidy help appear stalled, at least for now, Hines noted further. Lack of such legislation likely would force the team instead to seek creation of a tax increment financing district, something that has drawn strong opposition from area school districts and some residents. 
Of the 111 Illinois hospitals included in the LeapFrog Group's latest hospital safety grade report, nearly 30 received an A, making Illinois number 28 in the nation among states with the safest hospitals. However, Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis reported that Missy Danforth, vice president of healthcare ratings at the LeapFrog Group, called the city of Chicago a, quote, bright spot nationwide, as many hospitals in other areas across the country struggled to mitigate infection rates which in some cases led to poorer grades. Danforth told Davis that Chicago has historically been among the metro areas that have a high concentration of A grades, meaning that patients in the Chicago area have historically received fairly safe care. Davis also noted that the LeapFrog Group, a Washington, D.C.-based watchdog organization, publishes its biannual list of hospital safety grades each spring and fall for nearly 3,000 general hospitals, which are measured on criteria including the rates of prevention medical errors, accidents, injuries, and infections, as well as patient experience. Grades on the current list are based on hospital quality data from late 2021 and 2022. Chicago hospitals like the University of Chicago Medical Center, St. Bernard Hospital, and Ascension St. Mary Chicago were among the top performers on this latest list, all earning A's. All three of Rush University Health Systems hospitals also received A's. North Shore Edward Elmhurst Health also saw its hospitals perform well on the new LeapFrog list, Davis reported, noting that the health systems Highland Park and Evanston hospitals both improved from B's to A's. And Elmhurst Hospital received its 23rd consecutive A, according to the health system. Meanwhile, John Stroger Hospital, Humboldt Park Health, and Northwestern Memorial Hospital all received B's. Davis also noted that lower performers include Advocate Illinois Masonic Medical Center and Swedish hospitals, which both received C's, and Community First Medical Center, which received a D. West Suburban Medical Center in Oak Park and Weiss Memorial Hospital in Uptown, both of which went under new ownership last year, received a C, a worse grade than the two hospitals received in the spring of 2020, according to LeapFrog. West Suburban received an A as recently as the spring of 2020 before dropping to a B later in the year and receiving a C in the spring of 2022, where it has remained. Meanwhile, Weiss received a B in the spring of 2020 before dropping to a C in the spring of 2022 and later to a D in the fall of that year. Roseland Community Hospital, a safety net institution on Chicago's far south side, was the only Illinois hospital to receive an F, making it among the 12 lowest performing hospitals in the entire country, according to LeapFrog's data. In prior years, Roseland received Ds, and a ProPublica and WTTW news investigation last fall found that conduct at the hospital was contributing to high patient deaths. Nationwide, about 29% of all hospitals received an A, 26% received a B, 39% received a C, 6% got a D, and less than 1% received Fs. It might seem as if getting back to the days of easily found cheap airfares is a thing of the past, but Bloomberg reported that recently aviation insiders have shown optimism that relief is on the way, with predictions that fares will soften as pent-up demand lets up and airlines continue to expand capacity and improve staffing. Bloomberg noted in reporting, citing Scott Keyes, CEO of the airfare deals subscription service Going, which was formerly known as Scott's Cheap Flights, that prices have already fallen 12% since hitting a peak in May of 2022, noting that the spike last spring was caused in part by the convergence of overwhelming travel demand and an acute pilot shortage. 
The April 20th State of the Industry report by trade association Airlines for America shows that airfares dropped 8.7 percent in the first quarter of 2023 from the 2019 first quarter. And if flight cost is a reflection of supply and demand, pressure is easing up on both sides of the equation, at least for international flights out of the U.S. For instance, United Airlines cited lower-than-expected leisure demand for January and February of this year, though business travel has remained below low pre-pandemic levels. Bloomberg also noted that in the U.S., consumer behavior is shifting. Household savings are not as robust as they were following travel's restart just about two years ago, and there are rising concerns about inflation, banking turmoil, and the potential for a recession. Bloomberg noted that even high-end consumers' travel spending budgets are showing a drop. But on the supply side, Bloomberg noted, global airlines are finally starting to take possession of long-awaited new aircraft and gradually bringing their ranks of pilots back up to pre-pandemic levels. The progress on all fronts is incremental, but a drop in fares in the second half of the year may point to a temporary reprieve that lasts between the fall of this year and early 2024, before other factors like pilot retirements and high oil prices boost airfares again. Restarting planes that were grounded for months in 2020 has also been a difficult and time-consuming endeavor for airlines and has had ongoing ramifications. For one thing, it means U.S. airlines are still operating fewer planes and therefore playing catch-up on their flight capacity. But recently, they've been able to increase seat numbers with delivery of new planes with more seats while replacing regional jets that they retired during the pandemic. Up to 421 new aircraft are expected to be delivered to major U.S. carriers in 2023 and an additional 531 planes in 2024. That according to Airlines for America. Illinois gets more tax revenue from marijuana than any state but California, putting it at $562 million last year. Michigan, which has a lower tax rate and marijuana prices but higher overall sales than Illinois, took in $326 million in taxes to rank number four, according to data compiled by the Marijuana Policy Project. Bloomberg reported that Michigan's tax receipts grew 55% last year, compared with 10% for Illinois. But Michigan is unlikely to close the tax gap much more, according to Bo Whitney, founder of Whitney Economics, a research and analytics firm in Portland, Oregon. Because it's much easier to get a license to grow or sell marijuana in Michigan, sales have soared but prices have cratered because of oversupply. Illinois was slow to get new licenses distributed after the state legalized recreational marijuana sales in 2019, and only now are new operators getting into the business. But Illinois also charges some of the highest taxes in the country, at nearly 40 percent when local taxes are included, compared with just 10 percent for Michigan. Whitney estimates that 75 percent of Michigan marijuana users have been converted to the legal market as of 2022, up from just 55 percent in 2021. In Illinois, meanwhile, just 48 percent of users have joined the legal market. Whitney said Illinois has greater upside, saying, quote, in Michigan, their growth rates will slow and eventually level off. In three to five years, it will be dependent on population growth. Going on to add, quote, in Illinois, the growth rate will be predicated on lowering prices and generating greater access. Also calling it critical that Illinois open more stores and increase supply in the market. Also estimating that Illinois' combined medical and recreational sales will increase about 21 percent this year to $2.3 billion, while Michigan is expected to grow about 4 percent to $2.5 billion. 
That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.